Welcome to the Farm Answers Podcast. The Farm Answers Podcast takes a deeper look at projects funded by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture's Beginning Farm and Rancher Development Program and how they are reaching beginning farmers and ranchers. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the Farm Answers Podcast. Hi. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. So, um, I have Matthew Wilson today, and do you want to just start out by telling me about your organization, the name, and um, what do you do there, and who are you serving? Yeah, so I work for an organization called REDCO, uh, which stands for Rosewood Economic Development Corporation. Um, And we actually just recently uh, rebranded under a new name, um, but we still have the REDCO entity. Um, But we actually are three organizations working together under one shared mission. Um, So kind of get rid of the... um, the complexity of the three organizations we branded under one, um, which is Sichangu Co. Um, and Sichangu is the name of our people, the name of our community. Um, and so we mainly serve the Rosewood Reservation, um, and we're located in South Central South Dakota. Um, we have a land based size of, uh, uh, I guess, 1,970 1, square miles. Um, and so we do have also some land in the neighboring five counties that surround us. <clears throat> but we mainly serve... Um, you know, Native American populations, we're, I think we're about 98, 99% Native Americans um, here on Rosebud. Um, we have a lot, a lot of people who never really farmed before. Um, so we do serve a lot of beginning farmers um, in our area. And so one of our biggest goals is really to increase um, local food access. Um, and in order to do that, our goal is to increase the amount of local food producers. And that's what we're doing through our farm apprenticeship program. Okay, so you're teeing up the next question, which is tell me all about um, that's no, no, that's good. Perfect segue. Um, Yeah, tell us about the project that you received funding for. So why was it needed? You mentioned here in South Dakota, um, you're primarily serving Native American populations. Um, You're located on the Rosebud Reservation. Why was this um, your project? Why was it needed or or necessary and then give us some details around that yeah definitely so the area we serve is really i guess land-based size we're two and a half size of rhode island um where we really oh my gosh that's yeah grocery stores yeah you have three grocery stores and it's the size of two rhode islands yes and so so, you may be the worst food desert i've talked to so far yeah wow Um, and, and so Rosewood also is very spread out. So we're very rural over here. Um, no, no public transportation. Um, two of those grocery stores are just in one of our, one of our communities. Um, and we have 20 communities spread across Rosewood. Wow. And so transportation is one of the biggest barriers we have to accessing food in general. Um, and so our goal is really to be more self-sufficient and independent. And our way to do that is through food sovereignty. Um, so really looking at these systems that, um, you know, we're really colonized and that really work against our community. Um, and so we're really working with the communities to <clears throat> get them excited about farming and food production. Um, and so we do that through our farm apprenticeship program. Um, we started out as a, a one-year program because um, we have a, this grant through BFRDP and it's going to be a three-year program. Um and our first year was a little bit rough. Uh, we started at the beginning of the pandemic. And, I was going to say, I think um, I know why it was rough, but I'm going to let you <laughs> yes. fill it in. Okay. Yes. Um, so our goal for our first year was to recruit five 
um, individuals. And um, we intended to be all in person, um, kind of like more of a classroom space combined with like on farm training. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, we kind of just recruited people and then we were just about to launch. And then in March, you know, everything kind of went downhill from there. Um, So we kind of had to to pivot at the time. And we really tried to be like more of a hybrid style. Um, It was a little bit of a learning curve for us. We tried to do, um, you know, learning management systems to do like modules for people they can do at home. Um, And then we would kind of come together and um, through Zoom and do it that way. a lot of challenges there, especially there's uh, not a lot of access to internet for people and personal computers. And it was just a, a very big learning curve for us that first year. Yes, you were not alone in that either. I, I think a lot of people, it was a big learning curve. Some just had to wait to, um, yeah, you mentioned the internet accessibility too. Mm-hmm. So I imagine maybe some of your participants didn't have access to to internet so then you know what were you able were you able to accommodate them or do a conference call instead or how did you meet them yeah so we were able to do a conference style um and we kind of did that through the spring um as the numbers were going down in the summertime we were a little bit more open to meeting in person as long as it was outdoors mm-hmm. so that we were able to you know social distance at the time um, so that's kind of how our summer went. It was really mostly just um, classroom work in the spring. And then summer, we were able to get more into the into the farm and do the activities there. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely a learning curve. We started out with five that first year. And um, I think there was just so much going on with the community in terms of COVID. And um, we ended up only graduating one that year to finish the program. Um, and so we really, really evaluated the program. and. Um, the biggest feedback we got from that one person finished was that people really need to have, you know, that in-person learning. Um, and so year two, we went, went away from the hybrid model and it was fully um, in-person as much as we could do. Um, and I think that really helped. I, we started out with uh, another group of five um, and then we ended up with three who actually finished that second year. Um, and then this third year we have our group of five and we are on track to, to having everybody complete. Um, but so, yeah, it, it's been, it's been really great so far to learn and each year and just kind of improve on our own systems at the farm and how we educate others. <clears throat> um, I think one of the biggest things that we've learned is that um, we came in with the intention that people were wanting to start a farm enterprise, um, you know, as, as a business, um, you know, produce food as a business and, uh, we learned that our community it really isn't interested in that. They're really more interested in growing food for the sake of being independent and taking care of their families. Um, and so that's kind of how we've been branding this, uh, marketing this opportunity is really like learn how to um, grow your own food for your family, but also learn how to be sustainable by learning how much you need to grow extra to, to sell back to the community to keep your food production growing each year. Um, and so that's how we've been kind of, kind of doing that this year. You guys sound like you've done um, quite a quite a bit of like just pivoting and figuring out like what are the community's needs. Mm-hmm. And I give you a lot of credit for, for sticking through things during COVID and trying to find different ways to reach people and then being open to the feedback that you got that, listen, this is great that you tried to do something different. It's got to be we mm-hmm. got to figure out how to do something in person and, and that you were willing 
to do that. Um, and then even to be open to, so people aren't necessarily interested in setting up an LLC and growing, mm-hmm. you know, acres and acres of wheat. What they want is fresh food for their family and their community. And that's, that's where we're going to be able to um, have the biggest impact. So that's, that's where we're going to move our focus to. Mm-hmm. That so, um, you mentioned though you're trying to get people to sell food back into the community. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Is that like via farmers markets or is it more informal? Yeah, so, um, in addition to the, our farm apprenticeship program, we also manage a seasonal farmers market. Um, so that runs from May through October. Um, and that's located here in Mission, which is one of our biggest communities on Rosewood. Um, and so that's a, that weekly market. They're able to come and either um, come and sit up as a vendor on their own, or we can take more of the risk for them by purchasing their produce at wholesale and then selling it at our market in Peruta. Um, but we also have a CSA program that we just launched um, last year um, as a way to get more, you know, diverse crops to people's, um, um, you know, to people's homes. Um, and then we, one of, like I said, one of the biggest tra- uh, barriers is transportation. Um, so three years ago, we also launched our mobile market. So we have a cargo van that we're able to travel around to the different communities across Rosewood where we don't have access to a grocery store or a convenience store. And so we also aggregate um, produce and other local food products that way. Okay. I was wondering about that piece. I'm like, if you have the farmer's market in one location and you said you guys are, was it 1,710 square miles? Yeah, 1,970, I think is last one I wrote. Okay. If yes. I remember correctly. Okay. I'm like, how do, yeah. how do all, yeah. How do people kind of get together? So that's really, that's cool. So mm-hmm. you drive around and you sold some shares in a CSA and mm-hmm. that's how you're, you're helping um, folks out. So how does your program um, help beginning farmers? So these people that have been a part of the program, like what kind of results have you seen, seen from them? Yeah. So in our first year, we had that one person who finished the program and who actually did um, actually submit their business license and actually just start their business. Um, wow. Nice job. Yeah. yeah. And so they're, they're called uh, what we'll call produce. And so their business model is really, um, you know, local food production, but combined with uh, coffee roasting. And so they buy coffee beans from different farmers across the world and kind of these um, roast here on rosebud <laughs> they kind of do like a coffee csa um so they're kind of more getting into food production now um mm-hmm. they actually are a member of our team so um, we're hoping to really have them be more of an entrepreneur and um you know be more of a more of a player in the in the food system um last year we had three graduate as well um two of them were kind of a couple who were interested more in ranching um, and so we are, we are going to do more small scale, um, more, I guess, grazing and um, food production. So we were trying to work with them with our Wolakota Buffalo range, which is something that we just launched um, two years ago. Um, really trying to bring Buffalo back to Rosewood. Um, <clears throat> and then we also had an individual who um, is doing food production, but combining with um, arts that they, they do with a lot of beadwork um, and just using that beadwork to kind of subsidize and offset some of their costs. Well, that makes sense. There are a lot of farmers who have a yeah, second job. So exactly that makes sense. Wow. Okay. So you have somebody who, well, I mean, they all are two, 
Two of the three examples you gave, yeah, they are doing something else to kind of help offset. One is really staying in the vein of yeah. agriculture with the, the coffee roasting and maybe even, you know, helping another um, disadvantaged or other disadvantaged communities globally, um, the buffalo production. So what what do they do with the buffalo? Is that for meat or milk? Yeah, so for our buffalo production, it's a different um, organization within our ecosystem. And mm-hmm. so they're really just focused on um, growing the amount of buffalo head we have. And then um, our goal is to really look at how to get buffalo meat processed and to keep it here on reservation, but also to sell off reservation. Um, and I think we're looking at the prices as well. Buffalo meat is very um, inaccessible for our community. And, and buffalo is like a really big um, a big part of our diet traditionally. And so... Um, being able to have that access again is something that we um, are really, really value. And we're going to look at different models right now. And we're not too quite sure what that looks like yet, but um, we're hoping to be able to um, sell some of the Buffalo off reservation and kind of with the profits kind of subsidize the cost for our community members here on Westwood. It sounds like you're taking all the right steps, though, like, you know, building it out slowly. Like, first, we need to get somebody who can at least mm-hmm. raise the buffalo, and then we do need to figure out this processing. Um, we'd like to eat it because it is a part of our traditional diet, but there's an opportunity here, too, to sell it to the the larger population as well. Buffalo is really healthy from from what yeah. I understand, right? It's real. Isn't it pretty lean? Yeah, definitely. It's a lot more lean than the cattle and um I think just also looking at the ecological benefits of buffalo. Because um, mm, it area, Yeah, the area where we're at now, like, it used to be a cattle ranch. It was definitely overgrazed. And since we had the buffalo there, like we were seeing some of the um, more indigenous prairie grasslands come back, and as well as um, animal life. Oh, that's awesome. So with everything that's happened, um, and you've shared kind of some unexpected and surprising things, is there... Have you had unexpected or surprising results in the midst of all of kind of this pivoting and changing? Tell me about that. Yeah, I, I think um, one of the things with COVID, I would say only like really benefit is really that um, the urgency or I guess the value of local food production, um, I think was increased. I think, you know, by a decade, I think for Rosewood, like more and more people are getting into into growing. Um, we're seeing more and more people wanting to start gardens in their, at their homes. Um, and I think that's going to be the approach that we're going to take. Um, I think we're having to reimagine what farming is to us. Um, you know, as Lakota people, we weren't traditionally farmers. We were hunters and gatherers. And, um, you know, we, we, we migrated with the seasons and I really followed the buffalo actually. Um, and so to be able to take up farming is something we're trying to make a tradition for ourselves. Um, and as indigenous people, I guess the word for the the term, you know, regenerative agriculture um, might be a new new concept or a new term for some people, but the the concept has been something that indigenous people have been practicing for uh, kind of memorial. So I think that's our, the way we put a spin on agriculture is really applying um, the way we view and take care of the land. And so um, we're still kind of learning the the processes of uh, food production. And so I definitely wouldn't say we're experts in any way, but, um, we're hoping to get there and be like a one day be a model for others and small scale and gym in their bag. Well, you're definitely not an expert until you make a few mistakes. So be proud of those mistakes. That's what I don't know. That's what um, someone in my life always tells me when I'm trying something new. You're not an mm-hmm. expert till you make a few mistakes. And that's very true. And 
Yeah, you you know, you kind of hit on something there. We, we'd like to think that we've always kind of followed a regenerative model. So there's some things that I would imagine your community knows how to do better than most others, even if you don't maybe don't know the food production side, some other things that you just know the ins and outs of so very well. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a beginning farmer, how do I engage with this program? Yeah, so we started out with a year-long program. Um, mm-hmm. This third year, we kind of moved it to eight months. Um, it was really hard just to have people travel to the farm in the winter. Um, we do have a greenhouse that we're able to grow year-round. Um, it was really just a big ask for people to travel during the snowstorm. So we moved it to eight months. Um, and we kind of start in February and go until October. Um, and basically, people come on to the farm and we'll go like a uh, 20-hour work week and really just do a lot of the hands-on skills working with our farm manager. Um, and then throughout the weeks, we also have <clears throat> like training set up with our um, CDFI, which is our community development financial institution, um, really looking at like, financial literacy training, um, enterprise budgeting training. Um, and we'll also just have other trainings around um, other like skills that you need to for food production. So we did like a, your basic auto mechanics training, um, we're planning to do a carpentry training. Um, and then we also have on the weekends and during, during the weeks, too, we also have like farm tours where we visit other farms across South Dakota who are doing small scale and regenerative agriculture. Um, just to give them an idea of like what, you know, possibilities they can do for their own food production. Um, and so we usually go to the Sioux, uh, Sioux Falls area and the Spearfish area to really do those tours. Um, and then kind of one of the de- deliverables for the program is really to create like a business plan um, where they then pitch to the um, our steering committee um, and then they are eligible to receive up to $5,000 in um, seed money to start their food production. That sounds great. It sounds really thorough. Like you learn all the different aspects and then at the end you have, it, you don't just go home and you're like, well, that was nice to learn, but you go home and you thought about what is what am I going to do with all of this and you have a plan in place. Um, do you have advice for others that work with beginning farmers? I mean, you guys sound like you've just been through a, a lot and it's only been a short number of years. What advice do you have for someone who's starting a beginning farmer program or is a beginning farmer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say for us, one of our biggest things that we learned was really to really get our processes down. I think we were having to, you know, learn it that first year of like getting our like SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures down. And um, I think that really allowed our farm manager to be more comfortable and confident and in, in teaching. Um, so it, it, it isn't so much just to show people by, by doing, it. I think a lot of it is like walking them through the process and everything like that. And um, it is a process. And a lot of this is trial by trial, by trial and error. That's how we've been learning. And um, I definitely just say like, don't get discouraged. It, it takes a long time to, um, you know, to really be great at teaching and um, also just food production in general. You know, some seasons are different than others and um, it just varies. So I would just say don't ever get discouraged. And um, we really put emphasis on the relationships that we build. Um, we still keep in touch with our past participants. And um, just yesterday, actually, I got a text message from one of our farmers who like, uh, has their kids like the first day of school and they're like in the backgrounds are for um, our garden so oh um, that's wonderful yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really nice 
Well, thank you for that's all. I, I think those are all really good nuggets of, of wisdom there. You got to walk before you can run. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just got to you got to persevere. Don't get discouraged. That's that's really wise. Um, well, Matt, I want to thank you for joining us today. Where can people learn more about your project and um, the, the organization? Yeah, you can follow us on our social media. Our handle is Sichangu.co, S-I-C-A-N-G-U. Co, co. Um, you can also check our check us out on our website. It's um, www.sichangu.co. Okay, very good. Well, thanks for joining us. I hope you have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much, Betty. Thank you for listening to the Farm Answers podcast. This episode was hosted by Betty Burning, produced by Curtis Monken and Jeff Reisdorfer. Listen and subscribe to the Farm Answers podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all other major streaming platforms. Tell your smart device to play the Farm Answers podcast. To learn more about this USDA NIFA BFRDP project and other projects, visit farmanswers.org. The Farm Answers podcast and farmanswers.org are funded by the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture, and are a product of the Center for Farm Financial Management at the University of Minnesota.